Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 278, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is brought to you by The Persistent Pestle at the Real Herb Market. Magic and science blended into deeply nurturing and healing teas, bath, body, and beauty botanicals, all created seasonally, in tune with the rhythms of nature. That's what the Persistent Pestle has in store for you. Find them at therealherbmarket.com slash shop slash pdxpestle. Mudpaw Design. Is your site ADA compliant? Do you know if it is? Mudpaw Design can help you by running a free website accessibility audit. Just go to mudpawdesign.com slash free dash ADA dash audit today. As days grow long, we herbalists get busy in field and the kitchen preparing for the cold months ahead. What are we whipping up? Today we're talking with KP Kalsa, Ayurvedic doctor and state licensed nutritionist about the best natural approach to flus and cold seasons. Now here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Welcome back, KP. I'm very excited to have you here with us today. Hi, I so much appreciated our earlier conversation from quite some time ago. So here we are now in the winter to talk about uh, cold and flu. Yes, I am excited to hear your approach to it because with all the COVID and everything else we've all been dealing with for the past couple of years, I think the natural approach is really, really important today. Yeah, we have uh, techniques that work very, very well. This is one of the areas that we really excel in as herbalists and uh, as natural healing practitioners. Uh, there, the the well of remedies uh, to to uh, treat an acute cold or flu is very deep, and then to be able to prevent those things. So we know that it's possible for the cold that you have today to be the last cold that you'll ever have. We can treat it now so that. Uh, tomorrow you can wake up and not have those symptoms and then never have a cold again. We, it's advanced that much. We're that good at it by now. I love that. I love that. So let's let's start with dealing with the cold we have today. How do you deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we want to uh, treat the symptoms of the cold probably just to help people feel better. So cough and uh, snotty nose and fever and that sort of thing. But ultimately, we want to stimulate the immune system or support the immune system might be a better word so that the body can do what it naturally uh, does. Now, cold and flu are both viral illnesses. So there's we don't have a way to actually kill the virus uh, specifically. Uh, only the immune system can be uh, activated to gobble up those viruses. And there are things that we can do that work pretty quickly. Traditional medicine uh, did not have a way of identifying these things. And so uh, today we know that most of these uh, cold and flu remedies worked by um, bumping up the immune system function in some way, producing more white cells, uh, something like that. Then we have to talk about, do we want to help the person feel more comfortable more quickly, or do we want to enhance the body's ability to do what it naturally does? So all those symptoms like uh, fever and uh, mucus are things that are your body's efforts to get rid of that particular uh, bug. And um, generally speaking, we like to support those things. But the question is, if a person has been uh, coughing for, you know, for days and they haven't been able to sleep and their ribs are sore and they just can't stand it, maybe we'll give them a little bit of relief from something that holds back the coughing so that they can uh, rest and heal a little bit if we're addressing the problem, you know, from some other perspectives. Fever, though, is something that we generally like and encourage people not to suppress. Again, it's kind of a question of personal taste. And if you're doing things that bump up the immune system, uh, you can make a personal decision about how much to treat the uh, the symptoms. But 
from drawing from all the big three natural healing systems, Western, Ayurveda, and Chinese medicine, there's just a plethora of possibilities uh, for things. Is this an area where it really pays off to be aware of what your constitutional type is and, and all of that stuff? Or is this an area where you can kind of approach it a little more close to a one-size-fits-all type of type thinking? Right. So uh, constitutional type or the underlying uh, structure of your body, the physiology that you inherited is important in all the big three systems, although in Western medicine, the knowledge of that was pretty much obliterated in after the Middle Ages in Europe. So with the Renaissance, that part of uh, academic or organized natural medicine didn't come back. So Western herbalists don't think in those terms, mainly. There are a few people that have some other constitutional systems, but tradi the traditional one, as practiced by, let's say, Hippocrates, uh, isn't usually practiced by most folks. But Ayurveda and Chinese medicine uh, definitely consider that. What kind of a body do you have? Uh, what's How's that body manifesting its preferences in your daily life today? We don't want to do things that's going to that are going to make you more out of balance in the future while we treat something temporarily. Of the three, Ayurveda is the most focused on this. But let me just speak on that for a second because... When Ayurveda is uh, taught initially, it's always the first thing that everybody wants to know about. What's my constitution? And every book starts out with that, my books included, frankly, <laughs> uh, because it's just something that really captures people. And it's probably the most important thing you'll ever learn uh, for the next 50 years of your life, but probably the least important for the next 50 days. <laughs> so it's a long-term awareness about how you're going to live your life in the future. Are you exceptionally subject to inflammation, for example, or to mucus conditions or to constipation. Those are things that are in your genes that you inherited. And these uh, medical systems have a way of understanding those things and how those are going to manifest over the course of your lifetime. Something like cold or flu, uh, we don't really care about uh, that because it's going to be handled in a day or two. And let's say that you're a person with an inflammatory physiology, something we'd call hot. Generally, over the course of a lifetime, we want to stay away from pro-inflammatory remedies or things we call hot remedies, remedies that speed up metabolism, increase body temperature, that sort of thing. But many of those things are good for cold and flu. So we can bend these rules a little bit. In Ayurveda, especially, we treat the current energy balance and we're aware of the constitution. So we don't want to do things that are drastically opposite to your body's underlying uh, concerns, but we we not what we're trying to do is get back to that. So the average person uh, might take five years of diligent effort to get back to the bottom line you who you are. You might be a person, let's say, whose body is uh, primarily uh, cold, that is kind of hypo functioning, hypo metabolic, lower body temperature, lower blood pressure, less circulation to the extremities, all that. Uh, but uh, now you're you're hot. You have inflammatory conditions. So we want to treat those layers that have developed over time and dig through all that until we get down to the bedrock of who you really are. Most people won't put diligent effort into that. So it's probably more like 10 years to get <laughs> to that. So to treat symptoms uh, today, we're not so concerned about that. We're concerned about what will solve the problem today. And that's perfectly, it's absolutely part of uh, traditional natural medicine, and we definitely can do it. 
So in a lot of herbals, they they have a long list of the flu and cold herbs, stuff that's good for, like a lot of the Mediterranean herbs, the sage and the thyme and the rosemary and all of those. Would all of those, they're all, most of them, a lot of times that, that list includes things that are like heating and drying. And that would be absolutely fine, even if you happen to have a drier constitution normally. Because when you've got a flu or cold, you're so far out of balance. Yeah, generally speaking, we're looking for a specific action from those things, and to take them for a day or for a day or two is not going to be a problem okay. uh, in the long run. So we often can do sort of contradictory things temporarily. All these rules are made to be bent, just yeah. not to the point of breaking them uh, permanently. So you, <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> one of my pet peeves, and that's uh, herb books that you look up, you know, cold and flu under C, and there's a list of 50 herbs read, yeah. uh, listed alphabetically. So yeah. what? What is that? What? <laughs> yeah. Start at the page or pick one. Uh, obviously, those herbs all have different characteristics and they have different kinds of actions. So, you know, do they suppress mucus? Do they give you a fever? Do they suppress a fever? Uh, do they are they expectorant helping you to cough out the mucus accumulation? Do they bump up the immune system? So we need to know a lot more about herbs in a book than just that they're, quote, good for uh, <laughs> So that's assembly line herbal medicine. It doesn't work very well. And in okay. fact, it uh, tells people that natural medicine doesn't work because they try one of those things that they pick randomly from some book. Nothing happens. And it reinforces the idea that it's not going to work. So it requires, you know, every grandma yeah. everywhere in the world, except, you know, uh, North America for since 1910 knows about how to use these things. And knows under what circumstances to use them. So any given grandma in Europe or India uh, might know 12 herbs, but know 12 different ways to use each of these herbs. And they can treat every grandma situation, including things like uh, cold and flu. And they know just enough that they can handle 90% of the boo-boos and tummy aches and sniffles that their family uh, develops. So it doesn't have to be real sophisticated training, but it just has to be something beyond, uh, you know, a list. Those herbs that you mentioned are all herbs that are used and could be used, but they're all relatively mild herbs that are going to require yeah. a pretty significant dose to really do very much. So I, none of those would be on my list of the top 20 or even top 50 probably. So what are what are your on your list? What are some of the ones, like maybe the top yeah, well, five? Sure, let's start talking about a few of those. So let me recommend yeah. the herb, an herb from Chinese medicine, Isatidis, I-S-A-T-I-D-I-S, Isatidis. Very famous cold and flu remedy from um, Chinese medicine. It has a cooling energy. That is, it's likely to uh, reduce fever. So in a fever situation, that would be uh, good. Again, you have to think through what you want to do there. But it would be for a person that has a hot cold, if we could say it that way, or a hot flu. Fever, inflammation, red face, sweating, that kind of thing. Isotides is, as far as we can tell, uh, an immune enhancer in includes immune uh, effects that bump up the immediate response to the immune system. It works very quickly, and uh, it's easily available, inexpensive, well-tolerated. It's good for kids. A lot of scientific research on Isotidia. Some of the studies have thousands of people uh, in the studies. Uh, very well-known for mumps, for example, which is a another viral illness. So Isotidia is a, a very good candidate. Typical dose there. Uh, would be about 15 grams a day. 
And of course, that typically would be made into tea in Chinese medicine. Doesn't taste very good. That's a barrier to get around. <laughs> you can also consume it as powder, either just the the powder stirred into water and drink it down or stirred into a bite of mushy food and swallow it, something like that. It's available in pills also. You get up to 50 gram, uh, 15, 15 grams, you're starting to get to some pretty serious amount of pills. Yeah. So um, that can be an issue. But that's one that right out of the box tends to work very, very well. Uh, so just to continue along that line, uh, since we're talking about Chinese herbs, let me recommend a couple of Chinese formulas that I use extensively during this time of year, the cold flu season. The first one is yin chao. It's Y-I-N, and the next word is C-H-I-A-O, yin chao. Probably the most famous cold and flu medicine in um, Chinese medicine. Uh, I use it by the by the multiple cases um, every winter. <laughs> Again, it's for it's a cooling remedy, so it's for hot conditions, and it comes in pill form. It really delivers. People begin to feel better uh, right from uh, day one or hour one when they begin to take it. The key to using that medicine is to take enough quickly enough. So the bottle, and we could talk about directions on bottles later if you want to get into that, but the bottle says something like one to ten pills a day. That's a ridiculously <laughs> tiny dose. And that's a dose that the manufacturer thinks won't freak you out, not the actual dose that's going to work. So the herbalists <laughs> know that everybody but the consumer knows that. They think that the dose on the bottle is, is real. So it, a typical dose of yin chow might be 30 grams a day in pill form, not an unusual Chinese dose by any means. So you might take a few pills, wait a half an hour if everything seems okay, take mm -hmm. another few pills. And, you know, every half hour, hour, take another dose over the course of the day. And you take enough so that as you begin to feel better, within a few hours, your symptoms are completely resolved. And then you take enough pills throughout the rest of the day to keep your symptoms at bay. That usually ends up being about 30 grams. And uh, you wake up the next day uh, with no symptoms. I usually recommend that people take it at that dose for another couple days just to make sure. You've bashed the virus back down into submission, but you may not have completely gobbled it up and uh, your immune system having uh, conquered it. Uh, a sister formula for that is called Ling, which actually the name means to catch a cold. Mm. It's uh, G-A-N and then M-A-O and L-I-N-G, Ling, And it's a very similar formula. Again, it's a cold formula. It's often thought by people to be stronger because the ingredients have a sort of a stronger smell. So when you open up the bottle, mm. you get more of a whiff of the ingredients, but it's not intended to be stronger. The technical Chinese difference is that you take yin chow as soon as you begin to feel symptoms, that achy back, swirly head feeling when you wake up, you hit it hard with the yin chow. If that didn't conquer it in a day or so, and the disease has gone deeper into your body, then you can use the gamma ling. That's the technical Chinese difference. But the reality is that they're essentially interchangeable. And if you find that for your particular metabolism, uh, one works better than another, then you can just have that around and take that when you have cold symptoms. Uh, or you can experiment a little bit and just find out which one works better than uh, the other. The directions for the gamoling are the same for the yin chow. <laughs> Usually it will knock the symptoms. And most people you know, maybe 80% overlap. You could take either one uh, as soon as you felt symptoms and you get some nice relief quickly. And within a day, you feel normal. You take it for another couple of days just to make sure. 
those are very, very successful. They're easy to get, available on the internet, inexpensive, and really uh, do the job. So some of these Chinese formulas do have that herb ECTs that I mentioned in the formula, along with uh, other things. Does manufacturer make a huge difference? Um, yeah, you know, this is um, challenging with Chinese medicine because the average person uh, doesn't know all these distinctions. And frankly, yeah. there are thousands of Chinese brands. So uh, I would not be able to know, you know, any given brand. You might tell me whether it's a good brand or not. I use Plum Flower brand. Okay. Um, that's the brand of a company based in the United States. And they do extensive testing of their products. And so they're very consistent and reliable. Um, Chinese medicine, bulk Chinese herbs are generally quite clean and quite safe. People often have concerns about that. They're concerns about they're concerned about contamination from China, that sort of thing. But that's in manufactured products. So, you know, lead paint and children's toys and that kind of thing. Yeah. He, bulk herbs usually are quite safe. There's no motivation for a Chinese herb company to do something to a bulk herb to somehow falsify it. Uh, but preformed pills, yes, there have been some situations uh, where those were a problem. And mainly those came out of countries other than mainland China. So Taiwan, mm -hmm. uh, Hong Kong, Singapore. So you you want to be a little bit concerned about those. Anyway, plum flower is uh, the bulk ingredients are grown in mainland China, but the company is based in uh, the United States and they do the tests that uh, Americans would expect. Okay. And they, they carry both of those uh, formulas. That's really helpful. Actually, that's really helpful. There are a bewildering number of formulas available. So Right, absolutely. So what else have you got for us as ones that we should you know, be investing in or, or getting so that we have them on the shelf ready to go? Yeah, sure. Well, let's talk about another Chinese herb, astragalus, an herb that I think most people have heard about, but uh, most people don't understand how it's used. In Chinese medicine, when you look up astragalus in a Materia Medica book, uh, it's in the tonic section along with herbs like ginseng, not in the cold and flu section. Yeah. So when we heard about astragalus in the in North America 40, 50 years ago, and we heard that it's especially good at tonifying the aspects of the body that prevent disease, we immediately jumped to the conclusion, oh, that's the immune system, so it must be an immune herb, and so we'll use it for cold and flu. Not really used that way in Chinese medicine. It's a minor tonic that acts more like ginseng, but it's much milder. So the doses are 10 times the dose of ginseng. As it turns out, it actually does treat cold and flu to a certain extent. So we can use it in that way. It's really a much better long-term remedy to support the body's resistance to disease, in which case you might take uh, 5 grams a day, 10 grams a day, uh, forever. Uh, it, the COVID that we were going through uh, you know, months ago, was um, the Chinese advice was that astragalus was one of the top five herbs that were that were working very well uh, for that. So astragalus is uh, a long-term stamina-enhancing immune booster at relatively mild doses. Now, it actually tastes pretty good. So you can get the bulk yeah. herb 
astragalus dried and chopped and you can make tea out of that and it has kind of a velvety texture buttery kind of sweet taste most people like the taste so you can stand to drink it consistently and for five or ten grams a day you can easily make a beverage strength tea and just enjoy it every day for the rest of your life as a tonifying remedy that supports immune function to treat uh, an acute cold and flu we're talking doses of more like 30 45 grams again cooked into tea not very practical to use as powder just because it's so the dose is so high that um, and it tastes decent as a tea. So high doses like that, it's slow uh, in its action. So if we cook up 45 grams of astragalus today and expect to drink that tea over the course of the day today, we're not going to begin getting relief until maybe late afternoon, evening. And so it's slower than herbs like Isotides or the combinations like uh Yin Chow, but it does work. So astragalus is um, energetically basically neutral. It's technically slightly warming, but it's so minimally warming that it basically it's in that kind of mushy middle of, of neutral. Uh, so but it's good for kids. That's one benefit. Astragalus and Isotides that we just talked about are considered synergistic in Chinese medicine. They're often used in the same formula. They're often cooked together as tea. Isotides is more potent, the doses are lower, and it has a cold energy, whereas astragalus is milder and uh, works more uh, slowly. So they're used together in a formula. The ECTs will kick in quickly and begin to suppress the symptoms of the sore throat and snotty nose and all that, and then the astragalus will kind of come in behind it and uh, do its job. So astragalus is easily available, pretty inexpensive, tastes pretty good. It's a good alternative for a lot of people just realizing that it's going to be a few hours before it really kicks in compared to the yin chow that goes to work almost immediately. Yeah. That makes sense. It sounds like um, astragalus would be a good one to keep, not just in your, like to take daily. And then if a flu or cold does arise, then to consider adding that plus the isotides or grabbing those formulas. And adding those sure, in. Absolutely. That's, that's right. And we uh, are talking about things that will abort the cold or flu more or less immediately now, but we want to talk about long-term things that support the immune system yeah. so that you don't get the cold and flu to begin with. It should be possible to never have cold or flu again. Yes, uh, I, I love that. Going for the long-term, right. Yeah, I definitely love that. Let, let's go there because... The idea of prevention and just never never getting sick again, that sounds beautiful. Are you looking for a store that specializes in herbal products for health, beauty, your home, and even magic? TheRealHerbMarket.com is that store. You can choose from multiple sellers to select the best herbal products from real herbalists that care about you and your needs, all under one roof with one checkout. No need to hunt and peck for herbal products on the other marketplaces. You'll find only herbs, herbals, and herb-inspired products at the Real Herb Market. So let's talk about uh, an Ayurvedic herb, a Guduchi. It's G-U-D-U-C-H-I, all one word, Guduchi. And Guduchi does both. So it's a short-term immune enhancer to treat cold and flu and a long-term immune support remedy. This is one of the first herbs I ever learned in my career, and it just I fell in love with it, and I'm more in love with it every day. The more I learn about it, uh, the more I respect what it can do, and it's used to treat people physically, mentally, and spiritually in Ayurveda. It's a climbing vine, and it's the actual vine, the stem that we use 
in Ayurveda. Uh, typically, it's um, made into tea in India, and people mm -hmm. often have the fresh vine. People grow it in their gardens so that they would have it nice. available to treat acute cold and flu. So they go out and grab a hunk of vine, chop it up fresh, cook it up into a tea, and give it to the sick person uh, immediately, and it begins to work quite quickly. Taken in modest amounts uh, daily over time, it's an immune booster. In fact, it's a very well-known long-term uh, tonic to uh, use as an anti-aging remedy, and so it supports uh, physical, muscular stamina, immune function, as we said, uh, cognition, uh, just so many of the things that affect people as they age. A great remedy to take a little bit of, just a gram or two every single day for the next 70 years. But we're using much higher doses to treat cold and flu uh, short term. And uh, that dose might be 15 grams. So that can be taken as powder or tea uh, or pills. It's available in all those forms. So I, have, I have a question on that one because yeah. it is a immune booster. Would people who are on immune suppressing drugs for like transplant or things like that, or people who have immune compromised conditions like HIV and things like that, would this be one that's good for them or this is, or would this be one that might interfere with the whatever medicines they might be on? It's a highly debatable point. Um, I have never seen that to be an issue. Now, the number of people that I've ever treated with a transplant, you could count on one hand. So, you know, that's quite rare, <laughs> right. realistically. And yeah, they're on immune suppressing medications, and you'd want to be very, very careful with that. But the issue where this comes up much more is people with autoimmune conditions. And there's a general sense that somehow if we give people herbs that, quote, boost the immune system, the immune system then will be overstimulated and continue to attack the tissues that it's attacking. Um, I've never seen that happen. Okay. I've treated thousands of people. I've been doing this for 50 years. I've never seen it happen. And I've given plenty of immune boosting herbs to people with autoimmune conditions. Now that said, uh, some of my colleagues uh, absolutely say that they have seen this. Now just, I'm just one person. So yeah. even though I've seen a lot of people still, it's just, you know, one person's perspective. So a few colleagues have said that they've seen it. Uh, so, for example, a person um, has uh, some autoimmune condition, and they give them echinacea, and they have a flare, and they take back the echinacea. The flare dies down. They try it again. They have a flare again. So they've challenged it, and uh, you know they have pretty good um, clinical evidence. I would say that among experienced practitioners and science-based herbalists, the consensus is that immune-boosting herbs don't cause problems with autoimmune, but I would say there's a sizable minority that have that impression. Also, there are a thousand blogs that tell you that that's not a good thing to do. So I have to stay away from that yeah. with people with autoimmune conditions because they immediately start Googling my suggestions and come across <laughs> the thousand blogs that say you know, not to do that. Based on no actual evidence, but sort of pharmacological theory, yeah. and um, it's very it's very flimsy. It's very, very poorly put together. I'm open to changing my perspective if I get some, some uh, evidence. Uh, sure. But anyway, yeah, so we don't okay. really know uh, about that. From the natural healing point of view, uh, autoimmune is not a, uh, an overactive immune system. It's a misdirected or hypervigilant immune system yeah. that stems from uh, an unhealthy immune system, actually from a weak immune system, not from an overly strong immune system. 
So the natural healing perspective in all the big three systems is to support the immune system. And we do that, and I've seen that that work countless times, but it sort of defies logic. If you think of the immune system as like the accelerator on your car, and it's either going too fast or too slow, then you, you'd have that that concern. But that's not how the immune system works. It's very complex, yeah. and uh, it learns to go after other things. So I doubt that this is a, a problem, but it's, you know, highly debated. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a good to know because, I mean, you, you like you said, the immune system is really complex. And yep. we probably could study it for another hundred years and still not really know what we're looking at. Uh, yeah, well, let's talk about one more remedy for um, uh, treating the acute stage and then talk about uh, more long-term prevention. So okay. um, this herb is andrographis, mm. A-N-D-R-O, andrographis, G-R-A-P-H-I-S, all one word, andrographis. And uh, this is an herb that is um, used primarily in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. It's a kind of a standard workhorse herb in both those systems. Most of the research on andrographis has been done in uh, Scandinavia. So this is an herb that grows in the high mountains in cold climate. It's called the king of bitters in um, Ayurveda. And <laughs> it's a very cold, very bitter herb. So it'd be used again for a hot kind of condition where a person has a fever with cold or flu. But uh, a lot of excellent science on that just over the last few years. Uh, very good for treating cold and flu. That's what it's been used for. You can use it as a tea, although it's so bitter that most people will have trouble with it. So powder or um, uh, or pills. Typical dose to treat acute cold or flu is about 15 grams. And all these doses are daily doses. So when I say 15 grams, that's the amount that you would take over the course of a day. So you might take mm, 7 grams with breakfast and 8 grams with lunch, something like that. You want to get it in er as early as possible if you're using it to treat an acute uh, situation. And it's uh, very good for, for killing a whole lot of bugs. So um, widely uh, studied, widely used, uh, less well-known in, the, I think, the general public here. I think every health food store would have it by now, yeah. but uh, a lot of very new science on uh, andrographis. Okay, so for prevention, well, we talked about astragalus, so that's something that used consistently each day is going to be a benefit, and now we're going to go to things that are generally called uh, nutritive tonics, and some of them are adaptogens, a term that's getting very um, widely used. And in fact, I did a webinar on adaptogens a while ago, if people are interested in that. So yeah. the reason I'm making the distinction is that adaptogen has a very specific meaning. And so far, only nine herbs have been validated as doing the things that adaptogens technically do. But Outside the bullseye of adaptogens, there are dozens, if not hundreds, of herbs that are nutritive tonics. And those are the herbs that we want to use to support uh, the immune system over time. They support everything else, in, including enhancing immune function. Uh, so you get uh, muscular stamina, uh, stress, the ability to withstand stress, better sleep, better energy during the day, uh, plus uh, better immune response. So your body goes after these bugs quickly and effectively so that they don't go deeper into your body and cause uh, infection. So ginseng would be one of those herbs. And so for ginseng is typically used for men only in Asia. And, uh, you know, women can take it. It's not going to be a crime if women take it. But typically 
for uh, men. And your typical daily dose of ginseng, normally men would start taking it about age 30. It's a pretty substantial libido enhancer, and most men don't need their libido enhanced before about age 30, 35. <laughs> so a couple grams a day for the next 90 years, uh, great benefit. Now, it also turns out that ginseng can help to treat the symptoms of cold and flu uh, at the time. A lot of this research is being done by the Canadian government. Canada is looking to to promote ginseng as an agricultural crop. There are a bunch of ginseng farms in British Columbia, and mainly they're selling to uh, Asia. But uh, Canada would like to see more of their products sold in North America. And so they've been doing a bunch of research on using ginseng to treat acute cold and flu. And it turns out that it works very well. That's not a typical Chinese use. But now we know from modern science that we can do that. So we're getting up to doses of more like 10 or 12 grams a day, either as tea or pills. But that's another thing that we could add to that list of something that does uh, both things. Another herb in that category would be ashwagandha, which now everybody has heard about. Uh -huh. It was the herb of the year in the health food industry last year. It's a 50-year overnight sensation. So it does <laughs> many, many things. Uh, but it definitely enhances uh, all those things we're talking about. It's a nutritive uh, tonic. So ashwagandha um, is a slow-acting herb. So even if you took a lot of it today, it wouldn't do anything for your cold and flu. But if you take a couple grams a day for the next 50 years, it supports the overall function of your immune system so that you don't get the cold. Uh, fantastic. Uh, okay, so uh, ashwagandha is a, an example. There's another Chinese herb called codonopsis that um, is called a poor person's ginseng. And it's much less of a connoisseur item. Uh, ginseng is a, a, a connoisseur herb that there's a whole worldwide uh, club of people that are interested in that and will pay ridiculous prices for rare ginseng and like that. And it's just, it's priced like a connoisseur herb. So it's expensive yeah. by comparison. Codonopsis does all the things that ginseng does, uh, but it's just milder. So the doses are uh, higher. And so you might want to use uh, up to about 30 grams of codonopsis, and that will actually have an action, a little bit faster action. So you can use that to treat things. It's a little bit slow for cold and flu, but you might try it. Uh, inexpensive, but then again, a lifelong dose of codonopsis taken every day might be just three or four grams. Very common to throw uh, some of these herbs into the family stew pot very casually in Asia. We sort of get the perspective from Chinese doctors who write the books and teach the classes of this super persnickety way to use all these herbs. And Chinese medicine has 10,000 rules about what you can and can't do. But grandma didn't study in Chinese medical school. And so she knows that if you, during the winter, you throw some astragalus into the stew pot with your vegetables, that everybody gets a little bit of astragalus every day. And one day it might be tea. The next day it might be cooked into your rice. The next day it might be cooked into your, you know, into your stew. So codonopsis is a, a an edible uh, herb. You can actually eat the whole herb. You're going to get it dry. Uh, it's going to look like uh, twigs, the mm -hmm. maybe the size as big around as your little finger. And those twigs are maybe a foot long. So they're dried and they're just hard as a rock when you get them dried. But when you um, soak them overnight and or just cook them in the stew pot, 
uh, they soften up and you can actually just eat the, uh, eat the flesh of those roots. And so they actually taste pretty decent and just an, an immune enhancing stamina enhancing addition that you can add to your food. Nice. I've used, I, I can tell you, I've, I've used Codenopsis because you mentioned it once in a lecture, probably like four years ago that I was listening to. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. And I got my hands on some and I've done exactly what you said. And I think that's how you mentioned it, add it to soups and stews and, and things. And I've snuck it into my family's meals a few times. Patrick's staring at me right now. <laughs> He did not know. <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> I think the list of, of herbs that you've come up with are, are really amazing because they're not the same herbs we hear about over and over again. You know, I think you made the joke, the, you know, the success of ashwagandha took 50 years or whatever. But that's the case. It seems like every year there's, there's the, the in herb. Yeah. And that's all you hear about. And I love the learning about the herbs that are on the periphery. And, you know, even on our website, the herbs that are, the articles that are the really popular are the ones that are outside those you know, core 20 or 30 that everybody always talks about. Um, so I really appreciate that list because it's totally unique and totally different. Yeah, well, that's part of my mission is just to educate people about other ways of doing things. There's a lot of misunderstanding. That list that you talk about, about the same old 12 herbs, yeah. tremendous amount of misunderstanding. So you'll go into the uh, health food store and golden seal will be in the antiviral section, for example. Yeah. Golden seal doesn't have antiviral actions. It kills bacteria and a whole bunch of other bugs that are killable, like yeast, but it doesn't kill bacteria. And so uh, the uh, the person giving advice there may or may not understand that. But consumers are not sophisticated enough to understand the difference, and the store isn't helping them. So they have a cold. They walk out with a bottle of, of uh, Golden Seal. Yeah. So there's a lot to learn about these things. And, again, it takes all the uh, attention that grandma can give it to learn from her grandma 12 herbs, each of which can be used 12 different ways. And if we had that, that would handle 90%. Every grandma would have three or four uh, common herbs that they know about to treat uh, cold and flu, and that would handle 99% of the things that their family would, would uh, deal with. And it works, uh, you know, works great. Uh, right now, it's just, everybody's trying to learn from uh, chaos. So some of these lesser known, less expensive herbs that we can target specifically for certain kinds of uses are really valuable for people to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I really, and I very much appreciate that you offer so many webinars online that people can tune in like when it's convenient for them and, get an incredible amount of information on each of the herbs. So with that, how would people get a hold of you or your classes to take and learn more about these herbs to implement them in their daily lives? So my website is international integrative uh, with a VE on the end, integrative, international integrative, all one word, dot com. Uh, my school is the international integrative educational Institute. You can Google that or just Google my name. You'll get, right to that. And on the website, there are access to over 300 pre-recorded webinars on all kinds of ideas from specific pathologies like cold and flu to much more general topics like how to get your energy back and how to handle inflammation and various kinds of diets and such things like that. Uh, III, my school, uh, teaches 
A wide variety of natural healing uh, courses are flagship professional training courses are in Ayurveda, nutritional therapy, and herbal medicine, and each of them is a professional level course to develop a new career for yourself in one of these areas. Each one is associated with the appropriate professional association that gives us the curriculum that we have to cover to get you credentialed in that particular uh, area. So those are available, and then numerous other classes in a wide variety of uh, natural healing ideas from maybe um, 10 week uh, classes on some general topic like Ayurveda or Chinese medicine. Um, to, so everything from uh, A to Z for uh, everybody from uh, the general public to people that are looking for professional training. Lovely. I will make sure that we have uh, links too on the show notes. Right. I really appreciate your time today. It was, I mean, I was having, I did, I had so much stuff that you brought out and, and said, I was just, listening and listening and listening. I forgot that, you know, I probably should ask a question here. <laughs> <laughs> so I think our listeners would be the same way. So, um, well, with that, um, like we did last time, we have our closing statement, which is um, uh, put an herb on it. And we always ask our, um, our guests to, to join in with us now. So are you ready? Ready. All right. So as always, put, put an, an herb, herb on, on it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Thanks you. so much, KP. Always my pleasure. Good to see you again. Have a great uh, rest of your day. You too. Statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration (FDA) and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.